Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. I am your host, Trent Werner. On today's Deal Deep Dive episode, we're joined by serial entrepreneur Tim Calise. Tim has started businesses from late night snack delivery services to hedge funds to tech fitness companies and is currently an entrepreneur coach to help business owners increase their revenue and unlock new potential for their companies. Now let's welcome Tim Calise. All right. The next Deal Deep Dive episode, we're joined by a serial entrepreneur, Tim Calise. He is going to share his backstory, how he has started multiple businesses, raised a ton of money, and we're just going to have a great conversation today. Tim, thanks so much for joining the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm excited for our conversation today. Uh, likewise, thank you, Trent, for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. So, Tim, before we get into the background, I was looking at your bio. You also are a podcast host. Can you tell us what that podcast is, real quick? Yeah. So, the name of it is Leveling the Field. And it's basically the 20 years of my experience that I bring to bear for the next round of entrepreneurs to hopefully stack the deck in their favor. So, taking the tips, tricks, understandings of entrepreneurial folks and bridging the gap to kind of institutional knowledge that's out there in the marketplace to hopefully stack the deck in your favor. I love it. And we'll definitely be sure to link that down below. I'm going to check it out myself and I encourage everyone else to do so. Tim, now let's get into that entrepreneurship that started from a very young age. What was your first business? Yeah. So I can remember as far back, I was always kind of a problem solver. My parents would even say probably to this day that if there was like the easier known path and there was the hard path, I was the kid taking the hard path probably every time. But my first official business was actually in college. I went to school in Washington, D.C. And for anyone who's spent time in D.C., the city itself like empties out after about nine o'clock at night. And as a college kid, that's when things were kind of just getting started. I think it was like a Tuesday night. Myself and two of my buddies were sitting around going, it'd be really nice if somebody could kind of have an offering after like 7-Eleven closed for cookies and ice cream and stuff that we wanted as college kids. And so we launched a company called campussnacks.com. And it was a late night snack delivery service in Washington, DC, 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. But the key there that I learned was marketing strategy. We became the guys, I was able to secure 10,000 free condoms from the Department of Health in Northern Virginia. And we gave one with every order. So we became the guys who you could order from late night and get a free condom with every order, which was a very valuable marketing lesson that I took later on in life. (laughs) And now from my college days, there's a bunch of different snack delivery services. It's a great idea. And you were kind of ahead of the time when it came to uh, starting something like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it reflects this idea of like speed to testing. 
So we like we had the idea within 24 hours, we had kind of spun up the logistics of how to test it. And that became a theme through the rest of my career, which was not take undue risk. When you have an idea or you have a thesis, find some other people to with complementary skill set to help you go through the process, especially the first time. And then don't put all your eggs in one basket. One thing we tried, it was relatively low risk, but it was a way for us to kind of get our feet wet. And I think as entrepreneurs and investors, so often we try to find the perfect deal or the right thing or do things on our own. And that's just taught me the value of not overthinking things, overcomplicating it, but making sure that I've got the right people around me and not taking too much risk in any one deal. Yeah. And that's something I want to touch on real quick because a lot of people get in that analysis paralysis phase. And I know I've said it before on this podcast, but the fact that you were able to come up with this idea and get it going, you'll work out the kinks later, but the main part is to take action. And that's something that you did. And it's honestly very valuable for anyone that's trying to start a business or go to real estate investing full time. You got to be able to take the first step and keep taking those steps after the fact. The knowing is in the doing. You can study all you want, but you're not going to know those nuances until you actually go and do it. So just make sure the game of investing in business is about staying in the game. If it's your first time, be a co-investor, be a smaller part of a larger deal and at least go through the process because your first deal will almost certainly not be your last. As long as you stay in the game. (laughs) No, that's my point. Exactly right. Exactly right. So from starting this business in college, where did you go from there? I was always entrepreneurial, as I mentioned. I also grew up with the psychology of the mentality that like, in life that there's a path that you're supposed to walk. Although as entrepreneurial, I ended up at a big bank because I like finance and investing and things like that. And after about six months, I realized I was like a fish out of water. It just wasn't my cup of tea. And at that time, this is 2003, 2004, the kind of entrepreneurial area in finance was hedge funds, alternative investments. I started a fund with a partner in the southeastern part of the US. And as with most investment companies, like assets under management is the metric. We started with like $700,000, which was like nothing from friends and family. And then over four years, I raised $325 million for a long short equity hedge fund from everyone from $100,000 in retirement assets from an IRA, all the way up to our largest allocation with $150 million from a large institutional investor. And what was the main focus of that hedge fund? Did you guys have a niche that you kind of focused on? We did. It was actually very kind of similar to real estate investing, which was we were the number one, they called long short equity hedge fund. So it's basically like a mutual fund, but we could bet that stock prices would go down in certain instances. But we were the number one risk adjusted fund of our kind in the US. The idea was we hit a lot of singles. Mm-hmm. We were not swinging for the fences. And it was really important because as we just talked about, it's about staying in the game. I realized very quickly that there was a huge market for people who just wanted 10, 12, 15% returns like clockwork. They didn't need 40, but they couldn't take a negative 10 or a negative 20. And that unlocked an entire area of institutional investors for us. But that was our primary strategy and it was what we were able to deliver upon. You already kind of hit on it, but the fact that you were able to find a niche and do it and keep your risk low. I mean, that's like you already mentioned with your first deal, your first couple of deals, getting in the game, figuring out, getting the real world experience, keeping your risk down, you in the game, and then eventually you'll hit a home run, but it's all about consistent singles. Baseball, you get a single three out of 10 times, you're in the Hall of Fame. So exactly right. Same thing with investing. And if you can do it more than three out of 10 times, you're going to go down pretty well when it's all said and done. 
that's a great advice for someone that's trying to take this step. They're stuck in the analysis paralysis phase. Go hit a single. You don't need to get rich off your first five deals. Go get experience and go make it happen. So Tim, after this hedge fund business, obviously it was wildly successful and you were able to start something pretty cool that not many people can say that they've done. What happened after that? Yeah. So the end of the story, which I left out so far, was this at the end of 2007, our strategy felt like it wasn't working as well. And so we made a market call October of 2007. We ended up returning all $325 billion voluntarily in advance of what turned out to be the 2008 kind of equity markets crash. And so I basically took until June 2008 to wind up the company. And then my wife and I, we were newly married and we were both athletes in college. And so we wanted to get into something with health and fitness and things like that. But I know I didn't want to be a traditional gym owner, but I found an opportunity in the technology space, people that were building basically high-tech fitness equipment and opening their own physical locations. And so in 2010, we ended up being the first multi-unit developer under a concept called Coco Fit Club. And we grew that to an eight-unit multi-seven-figure-a-year business, which then led me to being introduced to a gentleman, Alex Formosi, which a lot of people know as acquisition.com today. I got an opportunity to be Alex's partner at Gym Launch in 2019. And then up until the point, effectively, when the company was sold to a private equity firm about two years ago. It's awesome. Alex yeah. definitely has a good following on social media. So I'm sure a lot of people yeah. have heard of him. He's done a phenomenal job. Now you're in the coaching space, right? Yeah. So I basically put my money where my mouth is. So I'm basically a growth investor. So I find service-based businesses primarily or early entrepreneurs between 500000 and $2 million a year in revenue, where I can bring my network, my expertise, my value to helping that company reduce the risk of growth and hopefully compress time to get to where they want to go faster. And so I'm basically a consultant for equity and an investor in companies like that. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. And what's your typical conversation when you're first beginning to work with these companies? What does that look like as a consultant or coach for them? Yeah. So the difference between coaching and consulting in my eyes is consulting is I can come in and actually say, based on all of my experience, here's what I think we should do. A coach is more like, let's talk about it and like kind of helping steer you in the right direction. I just know myself, I'm a really good number two guy. I can help people kind of see around the corners and kind of I take a raw idea and hopefully iterate on it. And so the best case scenario for me, like I have a gentleman who I work very closely with who is actually in the non-medical home care space, as an example. He has a $3 million a year business. But after about 20 minutes of talking to him, he ended up having this intellectual property that he had built in his organization, which would be hugely valuable to someone else just starting in that industry. So we stripped out the IP 
and now have created basically an info product where people can get his business model, his SOPs, all of the assets that he built inside the business. And we just launched that and is now already on track to be a seven-figure business in its first year. That's awesome. As an example. That's yeah. a good example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long would you say the typical cycle is that you work with you know, your clients or your, I guess, business owners? What's your cycle like? Yeah, it could be as short as like a VIP day where I'll come in and spend three or four or five hours with someone. That's usually a, I'll call it a clarifying clarity conversation, which is, here's where I am. I feel like I'm doing too much. I don't really know what the next step is. So it's kind of condensing down the value proposition and identifying what the right next things for the leadership and the team to do. And that could be a one-day event all the way up to kind of multi-year. I'm a minority investor in a company and I basically sit on the board or as an advisor and I do quarterly meetings and the whole nine yard. It can be kind of everywhere really in between depending on the instance. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then in terms of yourself, you just mentioned that you might have minority ownership of certain companies. Do you specifically or strictly focus on that type of investing or do you broaden your horizons when it comes to your investment strategies? Yeah. So professionally, where I think I have the most value to bring is in those kind of, I'll call it service businesses. They're up and running, but they're kind of teetering. Are they growing? Are they stagnating? Things like that, where I can usually identify some high leverage points pretty quickly. So those ones are professionally where I skew. Personally, I run my own portfolio. I prefer real estate and equity and US publicly traded equities. Primarily, I manage my own portfolio so I don't hire out to any other managers or things like that. But really, the thing I try to focus on is investing in what I know. I don't know anything about crypto. Part of that is I just chosen not to. But for right now, I don't see that as investing. That's more of a kind of a speculative thing. So I stick to what I know and it allows me to sleep well. My Hedge fund experience is very much how I reflect kind of my own personal thing, which is I'm willing to put risk out there, but I just need want to hit a bunch of singles and doubles. I don't need to, to hit home runs. Right. And when it comes yeah. to using your experience in your career yeah. for someone that maybe wants to add to their real estate portfolio, for example, you know, let's say they have one deal, maybe two deals, and they're trying to grow. How would you advise someone to get past that analysis phase? And what would your first recommendation for their first step be? Yes. One of my great mentors actually runs a large multifamily portfolio. He is the type of person, I didn't do multifamily personally before I met him, but he's the guy who like, he walked me through it. He'd been there before. And then I basically got on his radar to get cut in on the next deals. Personally, because I'm still actively full-time employed and things like that. I want to know that I have security and that I'm co-investing with someone else. And so I've chosen to go that route. But those would be kind of my main things would be to expand. I want to try to get into deal flow with other people. You know, I try not to do it on my own. And it sounds like from the first snack delivery business that we've talked about all the way up until this point in our conversation, every journey or every chapter that you've been on has been with partners, mentors, a team around your wife, you know, a team around you. The saying is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. What's your, obviously, I might have a guess on what you're going to say to this question, but what's your opinion and how do you build a team to go on these journeys with? And what's your opinion on, or how do you find the right partners or mentors when you're going on these journeys? Yeah. So early in my career, my ego was the driver. And so (laughs) I needed people around me as like a sanity check. 
And I'm so thankful that I did because I would be super aggressive. I'm just the type of person who, if I lose it all, I think I can make it back again. I'm just predisposed to not really worrying about it. Whereas now that as a father of three and a husband, they don't share the same perspective, which is right on their part. Now I know what my blind spots are more so now, but now it's less about protecting me from myself and more from, I think the number of deals you look at only increases your confidence in picking the right ones. The difference being, if you see a lot of deals, you're apt to say yes to a lot of deals. That's where a mentor or somebody else comes in. I find people who see things similar to me, who I can align with, and I'll source some deals, they'll source deals, but we generally co-invest together. And I just really do believe that having access to more deals is probably the linchpin thing where I see it go wrong more often than not is somebody trying to do it on their own, either they're buying a business or buying a building or doing a deal, whatever it might be. And just because their deal flow is so low, they have to say yes to something that may not fit their criteria perfectly. I think that point is very, very important when it comes to real estate investing. Deal flow is, like you said, the number one problem for a lot of investors. Uh, The other side of that is when you're analyzing a ton of deals, when the good ones pop up, you're able to recognize it quicker and take action because you know you can sift through the weeds a lot faster when you get more efficient at it. And when you can compare apples to apples when you're looking at multifamily real estate or businesses or whatever it may be. That's a very, very important lesson that I've learned in my career so far is every deal that hits my inbox, I'm able to look at it fairly quickly and say, nope, I don't want to waste time on that. Or this might be something that I want to take a deeper look at. Yeah. And an extension of that, which is kind of a good practice. If you're starting out, there's whether you do this or not, it's something called like a buy box. You should write down your criteria of what types of deals you want simply. So when a deal comes your way, you're not looking at it kind of ground up. It's like, okay, here's what I pre-established as my criteria. Where does this kind of score on that? Because I think so often we can kind of talk ourselves into a deal. Oh, this one doesn't fit, but it's unique for this reason or something like that. Kind of start with the end of mind and work backwards to give yourself an opportunity to look at things objectively. Yeah. And that's something that Uptown Syndication recently did. Well, I guess it's probably been a couple of years now, but we set out our criteria, very detailed, very specific. And that way, when we talk to brokers or potential Mm -hmm. investors or people that are in our network that might be able to source deals with us, they know exactly what we're looking for because we can email them a one page and say, hey, this is our criteria. If it fits this, we'll take a look at it. If it doesn't, we're not going to waste our time. So I think that's a very, very good practice, especially if you're wanting to add units from the foundation of your portfolio, I guess. Have a very specific buy box. That way you're able to pull the trigger and not get stuck looking at a bunch of stuff that's just not in the cards for you at that time. Exactly. Very, very good insight there. Tim, is there anything else you want to talk about today? I am passionate about the idea of people having financial freedom. If you haven't gone through this process before, don't be afraid of what you don't know. But as we started, put some chips on the table, make sure that it's kind of sized appropriately for where you are today. It won't be your last deal if you do it right. You'll learn so much in the first couple of deals. So I work with a lot of kind of earlier stage entrepreneurs. And the thing I keep telling them is like, the number one metric that matters is the number of offers that you make to the marketplace to see where you are and where the market is. In this case, it would be like, get as many, get in the sources of deal flow, find a mentor, find someone, find an organization that you can kind of tap into, and then just sit and say, you know what, in the next three to six months, I'm just going to watch. I'm going to look at as many deals and I'm not going to make a decision, or I'm only going to put 
5% of my investing potential capital to work. And then I'm going to see what happens. So don't get worried about finding the perfect deal. It doesn't really exist. Get, you know, start small, look at a bunch of things, understand what you're looking at, and then you'll be able to build the confidence from there. That hits home pretty deeply for me because that's exactly how I got my start in this yeah. whole real estate investment journey. I have two great mentors and partners now that I have partnered on deals with. We have another one closing tomorrow. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. But like Tim said, is I aligned myself with people that were ahead of where I was and have more experience, have more knowledge, and were able to show me the ropes and bring me along on their journey and as I was starting mine. So I think your network, your people, your mentors, your partners, that's the most important part of this whole thing. And again, if you want to go far, go together. I think that's great advice. I love that. Oh, very good. Tim, where can people connect with you, find you, learn more about you other than the podcast? Where can yeah. people connect with you? Yeah. So uh, timcalise.com, T-I-M-C-A-L-I-S-E.com. And then primarily LinkedIn and Facebook are the main channels. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for sharing about your entrepreneur journey and your career. It's been a great conversation and I look forward to getting this one out there. I appreciate it, Trent. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.